0: Morning. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Listen, Jesus is shelter from the time of storm. If we change the word land to lad, are you a weary lad? Are you a weary lass? Go to Jesus. You know what is there? Shade. You've all seen this, especially right now. It hasn't rained very much at all, and the land is weary. You can look at it and see. But there are some spots that are in the shade all the time, and they look way better than the stuff that's just been exposed to the elements. Listen, go to Jesus. He is a shelter. He is refuge deer. He is shade by day, defense by night. Storms can beat around, but the storms don't have effect on a massive rock. Isn't that the teaching of Scripture? The wise man built his house on the rock. And the storm came, and the wind blew, but the house was secure because it was built on a rock. But not so the fool. He builds his house on sand. And the storm comes, the wind blows, and the calamity of that house is great. Jesus, shelter in the time of storm. Thank you guys for leading worship. God bless y'all. And if Frank were here, he would be glad and said, those guys led with skill. He would say that. And he'd be right to say it. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for this time. Bless us now as we look to your word. Father, our desire is not to look for confirmation of what our ideas are. Our quest is to think about your thoughts after you've said them and taught them and to remind ourselves what is the teaching of scripture. Father I pray that you would guard me help me to speak truthfully and Father I pray I ask for the spirit to send these words with power that you would open our understanding open our ears, open our wills to obey you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last time we read a pretty big chunk of Scripture, um, and we're going to do that again today. And listen, really, it, it was intended to be read that way. Most people didn't have the text to take it home and pour over it word by word by word. They uh, even a lot of people couldn't even read or write. They would listen to somebody else read it. They would gather into groups and say, I got the copy of the letter to the Corinthians or to the letter to, to the Ephesians. Let me read it to you. And they would sit down and hear it. So listen, it is good to hear scripture in big chunks. It's really the authentic way that they listen to it. The last time, if you remember, we finished up chapter 12. We read about the persecution of Christians under Herod. Not the same Herod that desired to kill Jesus as an infant. His grandson... And he struck some with violence who were part of the Jerusalem church. We are told that he killed James. Remember, we discussed this. One of the sons of thunder, James and John. James is killed by the king. And we're not told why he did this. We don't know why. But when he saw that the Jews liked that, they mur- that he murdered James, he arrested Peter also with plans to execute him. And we are told that 16 people take turns watching him while he's in prison, because he intended to wait until the end of the Passover to execute him. 16 people taking turns, four soldiers at a time throughout the watches of the night, We are told the church began to pray for him. They continued the whole time he was in prison. Remember the discussion we had? We aren't sure exactly how many days he was in prison. It depends on when he was arrested and how far along the festival had been going already. Because he was intending to wait until the end of the festival. Apparently the Jews think it would dishonor God to murder an innocent man during the festival, so they'll wait until the end to have him murdered. This is ridiculous. But in God's providence, it spared Peter... The church begins to pray for him. And if you remember, he is delivered in a miraculous way. Chains just fall off of him. Somehow he's able to walk past 16 soldiers who are there to guard him. Doors magically open. Not magically. Divinely open. And... Peter says he wasn't even sure if what was happening was actually happening or if he was in a trance of some sort and God was telling him something. But he wakes up finally and realizes that the angel of the Lord has rescued him. Now, the place we are told that many were gathered is at the home of John Mark's mother. And they're praying for him. And they don't know that Peter has been freed. Nobody knows except the angel. Even the soldiers who were there to guard him don't know. We don't know what happened. Were they like knocked out? Like if they had been chlorophyll, you know, just they're just out for a while. We don't know what the angel of the Lord did as to how they could get how Peter could just walk away. When they can't believe he's been freed, he knocks on the door. Hey, it's me. Open up. Remember the story? And she says, hey, Peter is outside. Like, no, he's not. We're praying for him right now. He's in prison. And they finally realize that Peter actually has been freed miraculously by the angel of the Lord. And Peter told them everything that had happened. And they sent word, we are told, to James A different James. This is the brother of Jesus, James. And to the other disciples. And we are told that Herod is not pleased. The soldiers are executed for incompetence. And then we are told that he goes to Caesarea, which is down toward the coast. And two cities, we are told, had fallen into Herod's wrath. We don't know what happened, but they come to him to petition for reconciliation. Just, you know, let's, smooth, let's go to him and smooth it over. He's not happy right now, but we, could, we can smooth it over. And he appears to them, and the Bible says he was dressed in great apparel. And um, Josephus argued that he had shining silver attire that would sparkle in the sun as he preached. And we are told that the representatives of these cities flattered him with their speech. Even said that his voice was the voice of God, not a man, not a mere man, but the voice of God, which he received gladly. You know, can you picture it? Oh, yeah. Bring it on. Bring it on. And we are told that God was not pleased and that he is struck down in the moment. So in spite of the persecution that happened to James who'd murdered Peter who was imprisoned and others that we're not told of, the Word of God increased, multiplied. The people feared God more than men, more than soldiers, more than imprisonment. God's at work. And listen, even in our day, there's many people, right? many people in our day that go out and preach even when they're commanded to stop. Even when they're commanded, stop gathering. No gathering. They say, okay, I'll meet you by the tree at 9.30. And they sneak out and gather. Why? Because they fear God. He's the shelter in the time of storm, not the government. The government is the raging sea. The, the shelter is Jesus. God's work can't be stopped. Kill His, kill his messengers? It just emboldens the others. He's on a mission of love. He will not stop. He will not stop. Well, let's read chapter 13. We're not going to stand, but I, I pray that you'll pay attention. 13 verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to um, Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God, In the synagogue of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord?" And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went down into the Sabbath and sat down. After, excuse me, they went down into the synagogue and sat down. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought forth to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not, un, not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Quote, Look, you scoffers, and be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves Unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, Quote, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Verse 48, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed, There's a lot that dovetails very nicely with what we just discussed this morning um, about David, about Christ. You know, David wrote about the Holy One not seeing corruption, and he wasn't speaking about himself, someone else. But we'll get there. Verses one through three: "Prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch." So this is not the same Antioch where he was before. There's many cities that were named Antioch after a previous king. Depends on the number. Between 15 and 20 other Antiochs were around in the area. It's basically, you know, if you really admire your dad and you go all over the world and every place you go, you know what, I'm going to name this one after my dad too. I like it. Actually, this one's going to be called after my dad also and up to 20 in ancient times. But the two that we've heard about were the two most prominent. The one that's in Syria and then this, this other Antioch. We're talking about the one now, the one in Syria. <clears throat> um, there, there's In the church, there are prophets and teachers. And we, we hear a list of prophets and teachers. They're not all prophets and not all teachers. It's a mixed list. In the list, we have Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, um, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So there's a group of prophets and teachers also with the church, right? In the church at Antioch, we are told. This is not just a few people. It's the church, and then specifically, let's talk about these, this subset of the people that are there too. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... It seems to be an extraordinary time of devotion. They're worshiping, they're fasting, they're together. I don't think this is a short meeting that they did on the first day of the week. They seem to have been seeking God's will. Show us the path. What are we to do now, Lord? You've been saving Gentiles in other cities. The gospel is expanding. What, What should we do now? The Spirit speaks to them. The Holy Spirit said, did they hear it? I think they heard it. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It seems that they're making it official. Barnabas and Saul have been in this role, right? They've really been in this role, not specifically going out on a missionary journey, but they've been in this role. The Holy Spirit tells them, yes, I've chosen them for this work. I want you to set them apart. This is going to be their focus. And what do they do upon hearing this? Verse 3, they fast some more and pray some more. And then lay their hands on them and send them off to do the Lord's work. And they begin what becomes the first missionary journey. Verse four, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Why did they go out? The Holy Spirit told them to go out. You know, this is, this is the reason why I'm emphasizing this is because later when Paul says, this is not my message, excuse me, I'm not getting my message from other people who heard it. God chose me for this. He told it to me i think this is further proof of that they are sent out for this work specifically not because the church in antioch thought it would be a good idea even though they might have thought it was a good idea the holy spirit directed them listen god told them send them out can can we resist god should we even try Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So, um, Seleucia is not that far from Antioch, toward the coast, on the coast. And they sail over from there to Cyprus, which if you remember, that's the homeland of Barnabas. This is his place. It's an island in the Mediterranean. And the Bible says when they arrived there, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. John Mark, that is. The same John Mark where the people were meeting in his mother's home. And there's some debate on this. How was he assisting them? Was he an assistant apostle? I don't think that's the point. He was helping them. With what? other things. not John Mark is not told, they're not told that the Holy Spirit has chosen John Mark for this work. That is given to Paul and Barnabas. But John is a help to them. He's assisting them. Maybe they're telling him, hey, can you go get some water? Because there's about to be a bunch of people here. We don't know for sure. But they go to the synagogues first, and it's right that they should do it. They already believe in the validity of the Old Testament Scriptures. They already believe that there's one God over the universe. And if they truly, sincerely believe, they're right. They're on the right path. They are like David, a faithful Jew. And we are told that they preach from there on the east side of the island all the way to the west side of the island to Paphos which is almost 90 miles away on the island so they preach from where they arrive on the east coast of Cyprus and go all the way across the island into Paphos as far as Paphos it says and there they came upon a certain magician a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus well, this is interesting did he name himself Bar Jesus It's just interesting that a false prophet would have a name that sounds similar. Bar Yeshua, maybe, you know, I don't know. But either way, he seems to be an evil, He's definitely an evil man, a stumbling block for the people of God and a stumbling block for people who want to come to God. This is this is interesting because it says, verse seven, he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, so, this is not a dummy who's fooled by tricks, right? This magician is influential in his life, but it's not because he's dumb. He's smart. The proconsul, the meaning is he was governor of the island, basically the highest Roman official on the island. And listen, he would be a man of great power and influence on, in that area, certainly, but perhaps even outside of the area. He wants to hear what's happened. He summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of the Lord, word of God. And the magician, seeking to turn away the proconsul from the faith opposes them. So, this, you know, we have no idea how long this relationship between the magician and Sergius Paulus has been going on. But, I'm sure that the magician was eager to hold on to the influence he had with the governor of the whole island. And, was that a monetary benefit to him? If he's like the other magician that we've read about, the the Simon guy, he definitely was interested in money. So, I think it's likely. He wanted to maintain his influence. The The governor wanted to hear. He was interested. Perhaps ready to believe. And the magician is opposing it and saying, No, 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 don't call them here. Verse 9, Saul, who is also called Paul. So here we have the renaming of Paul from uh, Saul who persecuted the church to Paul. And and he's he's called Paul from here on. Paul, by the Spirit, rebukes him. And God afflicts him with blindness, and he can't see at all. The text says he's looking for someone to lead him around by the hand. He doesn't know where he is and can't walk at all. He's blinded. And listen, it's the timing, right? Paul says God is going to afflict you with blindness, and immediately he is afflicted with blindness. If it happened a month later, it might not be as powerful. The proconsul might not have gone, what just happened? Whoa, these guys are serious. God is real. And we've talked about this before, but miracles are often used by God to bring people over the edge. They're close to faith, but not quite. And then they see miracles and now they believe. Do you believe In miracles, I do. But I haven't seen one. But if I did, I don't think it would hurt my faith. I think it would increase it. Paul speaks to him very boldly. You son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? I think part of the reason why he's so strong against him is because the governor is trying to believe in Jesus, the most important thing that could happen. And he's a stumbling block and actively seeking to turn him away from the faith. By the Spirit, listen, this isn't Paul being angry and rash. The Holy Spirit is involved. Right, verse 9. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looking intently at him, and then gives him the bad news. You're about to be blinded. Verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And you would be too, God willing. And we're not told anything else about the church there. We don't hear any more about this Roman governor, or you know how God used His sphere of influence to increase the kingdom of God. We don't know. Um, we we are told about bishops from Paphos and Cyril and Saprikios When you if you look through some of the councils that met councils of Nicaea in 325, Constantinople 381, and Ephesus in 431, there are specifically bishops from the island at attending those councils. So we know that church was established there and it was influential even. Why would bishops from that area come to a council? Why do they need to be there? And obviously we you know Um, after that, there definitely was church activity there. Verse 13 through 16. Paul and his companions, they set sail from Paphos. So if you're looking in your mind, this is an island in the Mediterranean. They're on the west side of this island. They've gone across the whole island preaching the Lord. And now they're going to leave that port city and go to the northwest of so here's the island, I'm doing this from your perspective, here's the west, they're going this way. They're across the Mediterranean Sea. And they go to Perga. And we're not told they stayed there very long. It seemed like they didn't stay there too long. But for some reason, John Mark leaves them and goes back to Jerusalem from that city. And we're not sure what happened, but Paul was not happy about it. We don't know exactly what happened. But listen, have you ever had somebody that you really loved and you worked with them? And then sometimes you're like, I don't want to see your face anymore for at least two weeks. Has it ever happened to you? Even possibly the members of your own family. This has never happened to me. I'm a loving father. But you, maybe. (laughs) You get the point though. Even close friends and beloved brothers and sisters, sometimes things just happen and you have to separate. You have to separate. So we don't know exactly what happened. John Mark decided to go back to Jerusalem. Paul was not happy that he left. We'll, we'll get to that later. But So they decided to go inland to the other Antioch, which is in Pisidia, a hundred miles further north from where we are now. So, I mean, it's some distance, right? This is not like you get in your car and zip up there. It's a hundred miles on foot. Which, doesn't that seem like, what? You can't walk a hundred miles. You can Thousands of people have been doing it for thousands of years. Millions of people. You can walk a long way. You just walk a little bit every day. They arrive there into the other Antioch. They go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And listen, they're encouraged to speak a word of encouragement to the people. I'm not sure if they knew that they were Christians. It's possible. The the picture I have in my mind is that the the synagogue and the meeting has already started. And they kind of come in and sit down while someone else is speaking already. So I don't know that there's any introductions. It could be. I'm not sure that the leaders there, the rulers of the synagogue, said, We know you're here to preach Jesus, so if you have any good word, go ahead and say it now. I don't think that's what's happening here. But maybe. If you have any word, this is verse 15, any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up, motioning with his hand, and he begins to preach to them. And really, what, this is what happens. Paul gives them a summary of the goodness of God towards Israel in the past. If we summarize it quickly, he says, God's the one who caused you to multiply into a great nation in Egypt. You never would have been in Egypt. You would have died and starved to death in your hometown because there was a great famine. But God preserved many lives through Joseph, remember? And led the people to leave that area where there was no food and nothing, and they certainly would have starved to death. And brought them into Egypt. And there God blessed them. But we we're told that Pharaoh didn't, re- didn't remember the relationship with the next Pharaoh. Didn't remember the relationship with Joseph and the Jews. And just thought There's, these people are going to be way more than we are pretty soon. And we'll be their slaves. And so they began to mistreat them. Paul's reminding them God delivered you from Egypt. He led you out. In the wilderness he conquered your enemies in the promised land he gave you their land and he gave you a king after his own heart Remember that if we if we look through there quickly and he says 450 years so roughly 400 years in Egypt 40 years wandering in the wilderness and 10 years for the conquest of Canaan roughly 450 years God has you you have been told about the goodness of God the people complained and he would afflict them but he would also be merciful and relent and not utterly destroy them completely Verse 22, when he had removed him, speaking of Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. There are various titles that are used, and sometimes we are told that someone is the friend of God, which is very, you know, what an honor to be called the friend of God. To be called a man after God's heart? What's God's heart like? Beautiful. And loving and, and amazing. That's how David is. And if we read the story of David, we might say, it doesn't seem like it. Why is he running wild in the land of Philistines and killing people? Yeah, he's not God. He's sinful. But in general, he is a man after God's heart. Verse 23, Of this man's offspring, God has brought forth to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. So his point was, let me remind you about the goodness of God throughout the history, even even in giving you David. Through David, Jesus has now come. He promised that the Savior would come. John talked about him, he says. He proclaimed a baptism of repentance first, but then said, I'm not the one, though. I'm I'm making straight the path of the Lord. I'm not the one. I'm low, low compared to him. Like I can't even tie his dirty shoes. I'm low, low or untie them. And then 26, now that we've established that God has blessed Israel for over 450 years, let's talk about the blessing that we have in Christ Jesus. He brought us salvation. Verse 32 through 39, Paul talks about how they're bringing the message of salvation. The scriptures spoke about the day Jesus would rise from the dead and bring forgiveness of sins. By faith in Him comes freedom. You see that there? Um, This is verse 39. By Him, everyone who believes is freed. But everyone from from everything which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. Now, we have some visitors. Those of you who are here, you know what I'm going to say about this. But we are not trying to obey the law of Moses. Listen to me. Somebody say amen. We're not trying to obey the law of Moses. It was good. It's time has been fulfilled. Jesus is here. We are following the new covenant of God in Christ Jesus. Could you be freed in the law of Moses? If there was any sense of freedom, it was temporary and fleeting. But ultimately, no, there is no forgiveness of sin by the blood of bulls and goats. It can't take it away. It can cover it up for a minute, but it has to be repeated again and again and again. And it really doesn't do what we need. It doesn't change the heart. What we need is a heart transplant through Jesus. We get it. We are born again. Our sins are covered, not for a moment, forever. Never to be brought up again. We bring them up, and God reminds us sometimes so that we can give Him praise for how He's rescued us. But from a penalty perspective, the payment has been made. It's over. That debt is canceled. You're like, yeah, but they can always reinstate it. No. God is righteous. He would never accept payment and then say, but you're still guilty. That is unrighteousness. God is not unrighteous, but altogether righteous. And He wouldn't do that. In the New Covenant Scriptures, we have true freedom. Who has freedom? Verse 39, everyone who believes... So the question is, anytime you hear the Scriptures, listen to me, any you hear the Scriptures, you ought to ask, do I believe what I'm hearing right now? When it says everyone who believes is freed, is that me? And I don't mean to doubt whether God can do it. I just mean make sure. Examine yourselves and see whether you be in the faith. Because self-deception is terrible. You trick yourself into thinking you're a thing when you actually aren't a thing. Right? Jesus said, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I'll say, I never knew you. And they'll say, what? What? Impossible! We've even, we did a lot of stuff in your name. He's like, I never knew you. You deceived yourself. I never knew you. We weren't friends. Do you see the danger of that? It's very intense and scary that somebody could think they really were, but they weren't an actual believer. They weren't actually free. Verse 40, Paul says, Beware, therefore. You can be freed by belief in Christ because He didn't see corruption. God raised Him from the dead. He appeared to many people. Forgiveness of sins comes through Him. You can be freed, but beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. He's warning them against the sin of unbelief, the sin of seeing and hearing the good news, but refusing to believe it. Do you see why that's such a sin? God does the the greatest thing He's ever done to the children of men. He sends forth His own Son, the King of kings, the one who upholds the whole universe by the word of His power to give a blessing to you. uh, An act of the greatest love that's ever been demonstrated. In fact, we have this exact language in the Scriptures, don't we? God demonstrated His love. How? Because He sent Jesus to sinners. What love is this? They didn't love Him. He loved them. And so to to hear that good news and then say, I don't believe that. It's an offense to God. An offense, listen it leads to condemnation. Right? In Christ, there's no condemnation. But those who have not believed in the name of His one and only Son, they're condemned already. It's a high offense. God overlooked sins by not destroying them instantly. But He will not overlook the sin of rejection of His Son. It's not just a preference whether you decide to believe or not. It is an offense to God. I have loved humanity and sent my son. Believe in him. Times of refreshing will come. You'll be freed. You'll be happy. You'll have shelter in the time of storm. But if you won't, listen, there's a storm of wrath coming. And there'll be no shelter. Well, let's focus on the positive. Verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. They were very happy. They, they were seeing how everything was coming together. God was blessing them. The people enjoyed hearing the message. They're eager to hear more. In my experience, this is evidence that God's at work in someone They're eager to learn more, eager to hear more about God's love, about God's wisdom, his patience, his kindness. They're eager to hear more. When you know somebody who's not eager, something's not quite right. Either they're backslidden and they need to straighten up by God's help and love him, or they might be one that's deceiving themselves. If you're not eager and I you know, it, that goes up and down some, definitely. Sometimes you're hungrier than other times. But if you're not eager, ask God to help you. Ask him to restore to you the joy of your salvation. He will. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord, but the Jews, this is probably the Jewish leadership, right? They've been in the synagogue the whole time. The people are going to be Jews. Um, But specifically, the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. This is a common theme in in Israel's sin especially their sin against Christ they deliver Christ to Pilate and say he's a sinner he's been blaspheming he's been acting like he's God he's got this real close relationship with God and the text says Pilate perceives that it was not that reason why they brought him they envied him And the same problem is happening here. They are filled with jealousy. They can't believe. These strangers are coming in here. They're taking away all our influence. The crowds are just hanging on their every word. They're jealous. And they begin to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. It doesn't mean they never preached in the synagogues ever again. There, they turned to the Gentiles. And this is an interesting phrase. You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. I'm not judging you. You judge yourselves unworthy because you refuse to believe. You don't refuse to believe because our doctrine is unsound or our quotes of the Old Testament are taken out of context. You are opposing us because you're jealous. That's evil. That's a sin. You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life as was written in the book of Isaiah. He quotes um, that they're going to turn to the Gentiles. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We're almost done. Hang in there. We're almost there. The Gentiles, this is a very interesting verse and I think an important phrase important way to phrase it. And there's another one like it. At one point, Jesus says, why is it that you can't hear my words? And he says, because you're not my sheep. He doesn't say that um, you're not my sheep because you won't listen to my words. He says the reason you can't listen to them is because you're not my sheep. My sheep know my voice. When I call them, just like your pet, you know, you call your dog, the dog knows your voice and it comes. Other people, if they call your dog, maybe it won't come. You may have a disobedient dog that won't come even to your voice. But Jesus is a good shepherd. And when he calls to his sheep, they come. Well, this is interesting here. It's a very similar idea. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. They're happy. Wow! Salvation, even for non-Jews. And the Bible says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. This is not the way most people would think. They They would say this verse has been worded out of order. They would say, no, 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 no. As many as were, that believed were appointed for eternal life. But that's not what the text says. There's one thing that comes before the other thing. The appointment happens first. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now, were they robots? Did they believe because they had to? Well... Yes and no, right? If God wants to change your mind, can He? For example, have you ever tried to change someone's mind? And have you ever been successful? I have. Sometimes I'm successful. I change somebody's mind. When I tell them the Astros are the best baseball team in the world, sometimes I convince them. Not very much around here, but. You've been able to convince somebody of things before. Okay, well, God is God. And if he understands all mysteries of black holes and dark energy and that we're floating right now on a rock through a a space filled with nothingness, we can't understand this. But he can. He, He created it. And if he wants to change your mind, he can do it easily. And you don't do it as if you're forced and compelled. You actually want to do it. He's that skilled. Right? You might be able to make your kids do something, but you might not can make them want to do it. He can change your mind. He can woo you and change your mind. And he does. But if you want to know if you're a robot, I mean, the, way, the, the more accurate description, which my, mo- my wife reminded me of, is we're really compared to pots. Right? He's the potter, we're the clay. Can't he make whatever he wants? And would the pot at, talk back and go, I didn't want to be a pot, I wanted to be a basin. Right? That whole idea is ridiculous that the clay would argue against the potter. The clay just does what the potter wants. And that's what Paul's argument was. Are you a robot? Worse than that. If the idea of being a robot offends you, the scripture's like, no, you don't move at all. You do nothing except what God made you to do. That's from his perspective. From your perspective... Are you God's or not? Well, the only way you know is do you believe or do you not believe? And if you believe, you should thank God that He appointed you for eternal life. And if you don't, you should listen, you should beg and get on your hands and knees and ask God to have mercy on you. And He will. He will. We've seen it many times. The woman touched him. She she asked for help. Jesus says, You're you're not the children. You're a gentile. Why would I help you? She says, Yeah, but I can have some a few scraps, can I? And he healed, he blessed. He saw the faith in her. If you know you're not in the faith, ask God for mercy and help. He will help. No one, Jesus said, who comes to me will be cast out. Not cast out, but received. Okay, well, closing up, we see the same thing that's happened. I told you about the patterns that are going to keep happening in Acts. The gospel is preached. The people enjoy it, some of them. Many are saved. Opposition rises up. They're chased out of the area or persecuted or afflicted with violence. And they move to a new area. Um, Verse 49, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But God's already accomplished what He wanted to accomplish. Those who were appointed to eternal life believed. And the new church would start and stay in those areas. Verse 51, they shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples are filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Iconium, listen, it's some 90 miles to the southeast. So they've just walked 100 miles. They stayed there for a while. Now they're walking 90 miles to the southeast. So we'll pick up there next time. They're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this walk through chapter 13 Oh, Lord, we pray that you'd bless us. We pray that you'd help us to think about you rightly. Our desire is not to create a God in our own image. Oh, Lord, protect us from creating false images of you. Help us to think about you as you've revealed yourself. And help us to be who we're supposed to be. Help us to be righteous. Help us to be loving people devoted people that are full of faith. Pray you'd be with us the rest of our time today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.